Welcome to Capital Edge Church. We have a fantastic message for you that we hope challenges, inspires, and moves your heart for Christ. Let's get into it. Good morning, Capital Edge. Great to see you. Take a seat. What a great, great morning it's already been. Fantastic. Hey, that last slide I was thrilled about. Um, Remember, we had to, for the last couple of years, we had to give uh, Revival Week, uh, uh, we we had to put it away for a time because of uh, Trinity and because of the renovations and then COVID and all those sorts of things. But this year, first week in August, reserve that week. Put it aside because we're coming together with uh, a lot of other churches around the city and we're coming together each night of the week starting at 7pm and we're going to glorify the God and we're going to be, re- be refreshed by the Holy Spirit and we're going to see all sorts of wonderful things happening. It's going to be great. We've talked to various speakers uh, who, who are coming from all around the place. We've got uh, Gary Morgan from School of the Prophets in Melbourne coming up. We've got possibly Jack Haynes coming up from Penrith. We've got all these different spirits, it's going to be a wonderful time of refreshing in the Holy Spirit. So don't miss it. Uh, We're probably going to have to bring in some sort of booking in system because there's going to be so many people around the place that want to come along. So uh, we'll fill you in on all the details coming up. It's going to be a great time. It's going to be a wonderful time. I'm looking so forward. You know, those sorts of things can change a city. Not necessarily the event, but the God of the event can change the city. And so uh, I'm so looking forward to that. We've been talking this month about the I am's of Jesus. And uh, it was good. Edie and I have been away on on holiday for a couple of weeks and we went down to Jervis Bay for a few days. And it was so good being able to get on my phone and being able to open up and and, and watch uh, Trisha's message on the vine, the bread of life. And uh, it was so good being able to do that. She spoke so well. We're continuing that theme, I am, looking at Jesus and the I am statements that he made. I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door or the gate. I'm the vine. I'm the resurrection and the life. Before Abraham was, Jesus said, I am. I am. And we're looking at those statements and by Jesus declaring those words, by him declaring I am, we've got to realise that he was doing a whole lot more than just giving various metaphors as to his nature. He wasn't just saying, imagine me as a vine. He was saying a whole lot more than that. When Jesus was declaring himself as I am, he was identifying himself as God, the great I am, God revealed. So this is a powerful statement. In fact, Probably one of the most profound statements in the Word of God is where God says, tell the people, I am that I am. I am that I am. They are profound words. You see, when you think about I am, it's, it's present tense. It's I am not I was, not I will be, but it is present. It is God declaring that He is always near. He is always present. He's always relevant. He's ready. He's here right now. That's why in Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus could, uh, they could say of Jesus, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today and forever. 
He's the great I am. Not only is it present tense, but it's eternal. Eternal I am isn't limited to a past or to a future. It is forever. He is forever with us. He is eternal. That's why we can say of our Jesus that He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Not only is it present, not only is that title eternal, but it's immutable. What does that mean? Immutable means He is constant. He is constant. It says in Malachi 3.16, I am the Lord God, I do not change. He is constant. He is always there. He doesn't lower his standards or compromise his truth because times have changed. He's the north point. He's the compass. He's the north point that everything aligns to. Not only is he immutable, but I am tells us he's timeless. He's timeless. He exists outside the limitations of time. But what I love is this, that he was willing to throw himself into the context of time that he created through the incarnation of Jesus Christ. In fact, he made timing critical. We read in Romans 5, 6, at just the right time, at just the right time, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What a beautiful message that is. I am tells us also that he is self-existent. I am by, by very definition means that he can't be subject to anything that would begin him or end him. I am. He is self-existent. So when we talk about the great I am, when we talk about the great I am, we're talking about this great unfathomable mystery of God. We're talking about something vast, something big, something greater than we could possibly comprehend. I am. And when Jesus gets up and declares, I am, that's profound. You know, the Jews of his day understood exactly what he was saying. Now, the Jews wouldn't even venture to say the name of God, Yahweh. They wouldn't speak it out because of reverent fear. And you think, here is Jesus getting up and saying to that crowd, saying, yeah, I'm him. I'm him. No wonder it riled them up. No wonder at times they got so incensed about that and they wanted to take him and do away with him. You see, when Jesus says, I am, he leaves no room for interpretation at all. I am God, is what he was saying. Now, with that understanding, I want us to go to a scripture this morning. It's a scripture I've read before in Revelation chapter 2. I want to link something up this morning with this passage. Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. The context is that John is having this incredible vision and Jesus, the great I am, has instructed John to write letters to the seven churches or the seven regions of churches that existed at the time. Let's read about this one. Jesus, the great I am, says this. He says, write this letter to the angel of the church at Ephesus. 
This is the message from the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand, the one who walks among the seven gold lampstands. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work, your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles and are not. You've discovered they're liars. You've patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did first. If you don't, repent. I'll come, remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. So Jesus is saying, Jesus, the great I am here is instructing John to write these letters and he starts all of the letters with a revelation of himself. And each letter, bar the one to the church of Philadelphia, each letter carries the same structure, the same sort of message, the same theme, and it's most obvious to this church, Ephesus. And here is the commonality. Here is the theme. Here is what Jesus is saying. The great I am is saying this. He's saying, listen, all you churches, I recognise what you are doing. I see the good things that you are doing. But I am has become I used to be. I am has become I used to be. The title of my message this morning is When I Am Becomes I Used to Be. You see, I believe it's the same message to the church of God today. Don't allow the great I am to become the God who used to be something. I am. In a world that's drastically changed in the last couple of years, with COVID and with all the things that we've had to put up with. The church has had to make adjustments and you guys know some of the adjustments that we as a local body of believers have had to make over the last couple of years. It's important that the church reinstates Jesus to his rightful place as God I am, not God who used to be something. So this morning, I want to challenge our hearts. This morning, I want to challenge our hearts in four areas, in prayer, in worship, in fellowship, and in service. This isn't a condemnation. It's a challenge to all of us to make sure that the great I am is reinstated and he doesn't become a God who used to be. So it's sort of a pastor's chat. It's sort of me just saying, hey guys, let's be aware of these things. Let's be challenged by these things. And it comes from a heart of love, a heart of love because I want to see us enter into the fullness of all God has for us. Amen. Let's talk about prayer. I have a statement that says this, 
you know I am has become I used to be. When prayer becomes an every now and again task rather than a connected conversation with God. I hope you can say amen to that. You know, statistics tell us that a committed Christian on average will pray somewhere between five minutes to 12 minutes a day. It's not just the quantity of prayer, but some of the surveys I looked at also talked about the quality of the prayer and talks about that those prayers, those five to 12 minute prayers, most of it is silent contemplation. And it involves a little bit of thankfulness to God and a majority of personal petition, personal requests to God. That's what the surveys tell us about prayer. You know, Jesus said to his disciples, it's recorded in Matthew 26, Jesus is about to face the cross. He's going through, about to face the greatest challenge the cross, and he goes away into the Garden of Gethsemane. He starts to pray and then he goes back to see what the disciples are doing and they've all fallen asleep. And Jesus says these words to them. He said, could you not tarry with me one hour? Could you not even pray one hour? And and the sense you get of him saying that is that one hour was just like the base, just like the norm, just like the standard. Couldn't you pray an hour with me? At another time, Matthew 21, Jesus says this. He says, my house, that's here. My house shall be called a house of prayer. We'll say a house of music. Doesn't say a house with good coffee in the foyer. Doesn't say a house of preaching. My house shall be called a house of prayer. He's saying the defining feature, the quality of my house will be prayer. Wow. When you think about it, that's incredible. That's amazing. My house shall be called a house of prayer. A conversation was heard in the foyer after our 6 p.m. service. Some time ago, it was on the night where we have ER. We have ER, our engine room prayer meeting for 45 minutes after our service, the last Sunday of the month. And this conversation was was heard, one person saying to another, I forgot that it was ER tonight. I usually don't come on ER nights because it's an extra 45 minutes of prayer. To which the other person replied, yeah, same here. Now, listen, I'm sure those people, whoever they were, I'm sure those people at one stage on their journey with Jesus, they had had this revelation of Jesus, the great I am, the God who is ever present in my life, the God who wants to move in my life. But somewhere along the line, clearly he had become the God who used to be. There's a challenge. You see, it concerns me. As a pastor, it concerns me when we have our once a month ER meeting, the amount of people, the amount of leaders within the church who don't bother to come and the amount of mass exodus 
the service has before we start the prayer on the night, leaving the faithful remnant to pray, the faithful remnant to stand in the gap. It alarms me. It alarms me. It concerns me. Is Jesus becoming the God who used to be? You see, Isaiah 55 verse 6 says this. It says, seek the Lord while you can find Him. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on Him now while He is near. That's the heart of prayer. That's what we want to do. You see, the less we seek, the less we hear. The less we pray, the less we recognise His voice. The less time spent in relationship with Jesus, the less direction we'll have in life. You see, prayer is a connected conversation with Jesus. It's time to seek the Lord. Come on, church. You know, if I don't regularly communicate with Edie, my wife, if I just go week by week by week by week by month by month by year by year and and don't bother communicating with her, guess what? There's no relationship. There's no relationship. She might be the wife who used to be, but no longer has the place of priority that she should have. You see, if we're not connecting with God regularly through prayer, guess what? There's no relationship. You may get an ooey-gooey feeling every now and again on a Sunday. We've got to pray. We have to pray. There is no relationship. He holds the priority of I am in our life and that's seen through prayer. As the great philosopher, MC Hammer once said, you've got to pray so that you make it today. Uh Not really a rapper. Friends, we need to pray. We need to pray individually. We need to pray corporately. If ever there was a time the church needs to get on its knees and seek after God, it's now. It's now. Let's talk about worship. You know I am, has become I used to be, when worship becomes a take-it-or-leave-it expression rather than a passionate chasing after His presence. And you can see the telltale signs of this. Over the years, I've seen the telltale signs of this. You come late into the service. Some even plan to miss that first part. You come with your mind swamped by the circumstances of life rather than being prepared to encounter Jesus. Think more about music and style and how many times are they going to sing this song? <laughs> you sit back and you don't really engage. You become a spectator rather than a participator. And there's just 
no passion. You come to receive a blessing rather than give your adoration. Hey friends, news. Worship isn't about us. It's about Jesus. It's about us lifting high the value and the name of our God. It's about His worship. You know, praise and worship are verbs. When I read through the Bible, all the, all the words of praise, all the words of, of worship, they're all actions, they're all verbs, they're all doing. I say that because I've heard people say, well, you know, I just, I just express worship in my own way. Let me, let, let me read to you some Bible. Praise the Lord. Clap your hands, all you people. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart to the Lord. Celebrate the goodness of God. Dance with joy before Him. Lift holy hands to the Lord. Offer up thanksgiving. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Bow before Him. Praise with strings and flutes and tambourines and dancing, the clash of loud clanging cymbals, praise Him with the blast of a trumpet. You know, not in one of those scriptures. I've read them even a few times. Not in one of those scriptures does it add, but you can do it in your own special way. Not once does it say, and now here's the rules for those who are more conservative. Friends, you can worship the Lord in your own special way. There's nothing wrong in doing that, but but don't let that negate what the Bible says about how we should worship. You know, I am concerned. I'm concerned about passionless worship because if Jesus is I am, then he is worthy now of exuberant praise. It may not feel natural to you to dance. I can't dance for peanuts. You'll see me on the front row bopping up and down. And even when I'm finished, I'm still jiggling for 20 minutes. <laughs> but friends, let's praise the Lord. Let's worship Him. Let's be animated in our worship, in our value of who He is, for He is worthy to be praised and glorified. It's not about my feelings. It's not about my circumstances. It's not about what I'm facing. It's about how worthy He is in spite of everything. Jesus, the great I am. Let's talk about fellowship. Let's talk about the church. You know, I am, has become, I used to be. When church becomes a once in a while social club, rather than regular celebration 
of the body of Christ. Again, there's some telltale signs. Here's one of the telltale signs. Lateness. Got quiet. Let me just say this. Punctuality is about priority. Not organisation or lack of organisation. I know that for a fact because very few people who come here are late to work. And very few people are late to their restaurant booking. And very few people are, are, are late to the movies. Very few people are late to their interstate flight. So it's not about organisation or lack of, it's about priority, priority. You may have noticed, and I had a few people come up to me before the service, well, sort of in the service, if it's going by the time we normally start the service. You might have noticed we started 15 minutes late today. Now, that was done purposefully as a little live illustration, an object lesson. Because at 10 o'clock, at 10 o'clock today, there were 59 people in the building. And that's the starting time. There were 59 people in the building. And, and so we wanted you to understand that punctuality is about priority. If Jesus is here on time, then I'm here on time. It's one of the signs. And, and can I just throw this in? While, while I'm there, I might as well go for it. If you're signing kids in at 10 o'clock or you're finishing off your coffee in the foyer at 10 o'clock or you're having a yak to someone at 10 o'clock, you're late. You're late because this service, this meeting with God in here starts at 10 o'clock. Oh, gee, it's gone quiet. Here's another sign of I am becoming I used to be when people spend their time critiquing and criticising the church rather than just honouring and loving Jesus. Just imagine, I've used this illustration before, but just imagine you came up to me and said, John, we'd love to hang out with you. We just, we just love you, John. It's great, John. We love you. We want to hang out with you. But listen, John, we've got a few problems with Edie. I've got to be really careful where I tread with this. Now, I would probably get just slightly vexed in my spirit. And I would politely, hopefully, I would politely decline your offer because she's my bride. She's my wife. She's the love of my life. It's amazing how many people say, oh, we love Jesus. Just can't stand his missus. We love Jesus, but the bride, oh, man, 
You can't live there. You can't live there. He loves the bride. He loves his church. He died for his church. This is the great mystery. This is his great plan. He loves the church. He loves his bride. For people who haven't been around for a while, I give them a call, say, hey, how you guys going? Where are you? I haven't seen you for a while. And they say this, they say, well, we've just found the people aren't friendly. We feel disconnected and we're thinking of leaving. And I, I, I scratch my head, which is probably why I'm bald. I scratch my head. Let me give you this morning a scientific fact, okay? Lifeblood doesn't flow to an amputated limb. And I've seen so many people who have cut themselves off from the body and yet they're still expecting the lifeblood to flow. It don't work that way. I am has become I used to be. I want you to listen carefully to this. I am has become I used to be when online becomes your church. Now, don't get me wrong. I think online is a wonderful resource. I think it's great and I think it meets an incredible need. Um, there are many people who legitimately can't make it to church and just being able to uh, hop online, hop on YouTube and be able to watch the, the, the message like I did on holiday, absolutely wonderful. But friends, I guess I'm not speaking to you, I guess I'm speaking to you, the cameras. If online has become your church, you need to get out of the convenience and back into fellowship. You see, because online can't do what happens here. The fellowship we've experienced today, the joy we've experienced today, the, that, that incredible atmosphere of the Holy Spirit in this place today, the worshipping and, and just loving on Him being encouraged, being excited by those around us and hearing them worship and seeing them worship the Lord. You can't get that in your lounge room. You know what I love today? I'm going to put you on the spot, Sharon. Sorry. I love just sitting here and hearing Sharon sing in worship behind me. I loved it. That's the body. I am has become I used to be when the Sabbath is so easily pushed aside. You know, keeping the Sabbath holy is a command. And the commands didn't die out in the Old Testament. It's not like in the Old Testament, you couldn't murder, but now you can shoot your neighbour. It still applies. The command still exists. The command is still there. And one of those great commands is keep the Sabbath holy. Keep a day, keep a time when you can delight in the goodness of God. And I'm sorry, that does not mean canoeing. It means taking and setting aside specific time where we can delight in our God and worship our God. 
and talk to him and love him? The answer, of course, is to return to our first love. Like it says in that passage I read, return to your first love. Come back to your first love. Do those things you used to do at first. Make him I am, not God who used to be. Make him I am. Now, I know I'm preaching to the converted this morning. I know that many of you, this is your priority. You love worshipping the Lord. You, you, you love the fellowship of the saints. You love all these things. But it's a reminder today to all of us, let's make sure the great I am doesn't become a God who used to be. Amen. One final one, service. You know I am has become I used to be when service becomes someone else's responsibility rather than your delight. I've discovered a number of different things over the years. Hopefully I would because I'm 56 now. Hopefully I found out a thing or two. I found out that when Jesus is I am, even the most mundane, ordinary things carry an incredible sense of purpose. Just before Easter, I'm sure you'll remember it. Just before Easter, remember the old grey plastic chairs we had in here? Weren't they awful? Just before Easter, we decided as a staff that we were going to get rid of those and we're going to bring in all the lovely comfy cushioned chairs and so as a staff we decided this on a Monday and we all got together and we went and got the trolleys and the chairs and we started setting up and we had to measure the rows according to restrictions and all that sort of thing and and so we had measure it, it took us a few hours to get it all done but you know after we did that and we were joking and mucking around at the time, enjoying each other's company. After we did that, not one of us said, okay, now I can go to the office and do something that's real important. I can remember the day clearly. I can remember the staff and we all sat along the front here. We just sat and a couple of guys took photos to load onto the Facebook page and we just all sat here and we thought, wow, doesn't it look great? Doesn't it start to feel a little bit like it used to? Isn't it a little bit more normal? And we enjoyed it. You see, in that mundane, ordinary activity, we found incredible joy. We found incredible purpose. Because it was really an act of worship to the great I am. To the great I am. In wrapping up this morning, change of behaviour starts with a change of priority. I think with this challenge that we've heard this morning, 
I think it'd be kind of sad if we just made a few adjustments for a couple of weeks, then we went back to how it used to be. I think that'd be kind of sad. We want to see real change. We want to make sure that He is the great I am and not the God who used to be. And that means maybe there needs to be a change of priority in our lives. You see, because when the priority is the great I am, all the other bits and pieces fall into the rightful place. The great I am. The great I am. Capital Edge, God is doing some remarkable things in this house. Even this morning as I was worshipping the Lord, I just sense we're breaking ground. We're breaking ground. And, and, and some people who have not yet experienced that, that, that level of, of just stepping into the presence of God and feeling the wonderful power of the Holy Spirit, you got a glimpse this morning. We are a church who loves to worship. We will never take a back seat to that. Though sometimes maybe the fig tree does not blossom, yet will I rejoice in the Lord. We'll always praise Him. We'll always be animated. And can I encourage you to step out and experience the freedom that we talked about this morning. Experience the freedom of lifting holy hands. What you're doing is you're just saying, God, I'm surrendering to you. I'm surrendering to you. Do what you want to do in my life. Clap, shout, sing. Hey, maybe even this a couple of times. Let's be on time. Let's have such a hunger within us that we can't wait to get to church because we know there's going to be an encounter with Jesus. Let's serve. Let's serve. Let's all be in this together. Uh, because if you're not involved, let's love our Jesus. Let's love our Jesus. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge that you've given us today to our hearts. Lord, I guess what I've been saying this morning is we want to make sure that you're the centre of it all. We want to make sure that you're the centre of our praise, the centre of our worship, the centre of our life. Not just what we do at church, but what we do in the marketplace, what we do at home, our lives, Lord, that you will be central to everything. We ask in your precious Holy, wonderful, matchless name above all names who is worthy of honour and glory and praise and adoration, everything good that we can give unto you in your wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Hey, God bless you, church. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for going through the little experiment this morning of the 15 minutes. It won't be that way again. Well, unless you make it so. God bless you. Uh, we'll see the 6 p.m. tonight. We'll see you next week. God bless.